0: hello everybody welcome to health chatter in our episode today on uh, cancer screening which should be quite interesting we've got a great guest we'll get to that in a minute Uh, we have wonderful background people as as some of our our listeners have noted before or heard from us before Uh, we have maddie levine Wolf and Aaron Collins do wonderful background research on all the different topics that, that have become part of the Health Chatter broadcasts. And Matthew Campbell is our production person who takes care of all the, uh, the logistics of, of the show, the editing, and finally getting the show out to the, um, the public. And also, and it's really not an add-on; it's really kind of a <laughs> a given. Is uh, my dear colleague, and that's Clarence Jones. He and I have we did a lot of thinking about putting these these shows together, and it's um, it's really become exciting. This is our sixteenth show of Health Chatter. Today, we are going to be talking about uh, cancer screening which is um, really when you think about the word screening, you know, almost if you have a visual, I remember um, getting taught about the idea of screening as a public health student many, many years ago. And if you think of a real, just a screen, like on on your door or on your window, the idea of screening even in the, in the health industry is, is not much different. In other words, uh, we test people and, and we see who um, falls through the screen, okay? And then the others are who we catch, okay, in the screen. So screening almost by definition is not a, a, a perfect enterprise. Uh, for any of the things that we do in in healthcare, but it's certainly a good tool. And it really focuses around uh, the prevention aspects of, of healthcare. Today, I have a wonderful colleague with me, Matt Flory. Matt and I go back quite a ways. Um, he's, he's been, I think almost for your entire career, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, in, in the in the cancer arena. Is yep. that correct? Yeah. Wow. And yeah. So, I mean, I, I
1: had a few other small jobs out of college, but I've been in ACS now
0: over 20 years. Right. You know, like you know, a, a grocery person or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, but Matthew is is a true um, public health advocate, um, not only within the, the the cancer arena itself, and is very very well known in this arena but in public health in, in general. He carries those torches proudly and um, is a good advocate in a voice. He's, uh, he's a past president of the, uh, the Minnesota Public Health Association, has, has been in various positions with the, the American Cancer Society here in, in the state of Minnesota and is, is known nationally for for his work. He's also a very, very strong um, policy advocate. We'll get into some talk about that as well. And so thank you. Thank you for joining us today. It's, it's a pleasure having you. It's, it's also great seeing you on our, our broadcast here.
2: Thanks so, so much for having let, me, Stan.
0: So let me get the, um, <coughs> the, the show rolling here. Um, when we talk about um, screening, we're talking about true prevention, okay? okay. So relate that to, to cancer. When you talk about the prevention oriented things that you do in the cancer arena, what does it include?
1: Well, for, first of all, um, I think you, you really hit it early on that the screening is about testing. Uh, And testing before people have symptoms, Uh, you know, certainly if you have symptoms, you want to get in and get to a doctor, but symptoms are usually a sign of a cancer that's more advanced, of a cancer that may have spread, of a cancer that's more serious, Um, you know, it's at least going to be a more difficult treatment, if not a a harder chance of survival. So the biggest, most important thing I want to get across to listeners today is don't wait for symptoms. Mm Uh, you know, get into the doctor regularly. <laughs> yes, there are some generally recommended ages, but the more you're with the doc, the more that you're uh- you know, regularly talking to a doctor, the more they can catch other things in your medical history and your family history that might, uh, you know, tailor that recommendation for when you should start, not just when someone should start. So the the cancer screenings that we're talking about the most often to people uh, are breast cancer screening, cervical cancer screening, and colorectal screening. These tests have wide, uh, not only wide impact, but wide agreement on when people should start screening, on their efficacy, and we can catch cancer in the earliest stages. Uh, We're in a little bit more difficult space about prostate cancer, where we want uh, to make sure that people are having a conversation with their doctor. uh, Because of the potential for false positives and false negatives, we want a real thorough conversation about whether you should screen, so that if you have a result, you, you can appropriately interpret that result. Uh, For people with a a history of smoking, we're talking increasingly about lung cancer screening. We're seeing some great um, results in terms of uh, lung cancer screening with uh, people that are past or current smokers in terms of finding cancers in early, more treatable stages and actually shifting uh shifting their you know, chances uh and and really that in that space that's new enough that we're even talking to doctors about that saying hey make sure your parent your patients that are smokers that are former smokers get screened and you know we've gotten some mild pushback from people saying well but is it going to make a difference? And the reality is it's just, it's newer technology. Uh, You know, we continue to study that one, but, you know, breast and cervical cancer, I think people know about colorectal cancer. People know about colonoscopies. They're not crazy about it. Um, One of the things that we always try to make sure people know is there are other tests out there. Um, So we'll get back into that. I think later, as we get into the conversation today at the cancer society, we're doing a lot of work, uh, with health insurance companies, with medical groups to make sure doctors are up to date on the latest technology, but also uh, to share with them what we know, uh, interacting with consumers. And we've been doing an awful lot of work, uh, focus groups and, uh, and you know, trying to figure out which messages make the best difference, uh, the most impact, especially in light of the pandemic, people's health attitudes are changed a little bit. Uh, different communities have different cultural sensitivities. Uh, you know, medical mistrust. So, you know, we're trying to give the medical profession the best advice possible, as well as reaching out to consumers to make sure that they talk to their doctor about what tests are right for them.
0: So there you have it, the elevator speech for screening <laughs> for cancer. That's the end of our show. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> well, good. There's well a few said. things I want to well, try to plug in here. Well, well said.
2: So. Clarence, Yes, yeah, so so Matthew, I'm glad as uh, Stan said, I'm glad that you're here on our show, and uh, you, you, I, I kind of laughed when you said, you know, people have a uh, a, a, a a struggle sometimes with col- uh, co- colonoscopies. I'm saying I know a lot of people that have a, a real struggle with a prostate cancer exams too. Right. But uh, 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 I wanted to ask this particular question. Yeah, knowing how how much these issues impact us, what do you what 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 are people's <laughs> um, Fears in terms of getting the screenings. I mean, why why do we have such a struggle with people knowing that these these are major issues? Why do we have such a struggle with people getting screened? What is the what is your what is your research or? Well,
1: shown? I think the the biggest thing, honestly, is that um, uh, particularly if people don't feel like they have symptoms, they just kind of put it out of their mind. And I'll say, um, I don't like going to the dentist. Um, I, you know, I'm always a little bit worried about, uh, you know, am I going to have a cavity? Am I going to have a root canal? Like what's the next thing that's coming, uh, that reveals a little bit, like maybe I didn't do enough, uh, dental health early on, but I mean, uh, the fear that people have of the cost of a cancer diagnosis or of the threat to their health of a cancer diagnosis is far larger, uh, than their, than the average person's fear, I guess, of the dentist. Uh, I will say I, I found it no strange irony that it was when it was time for me to schedule my colonoscopy that I didn't rush into to do it either uh and you know and I even went through the process uh with my doctor and even myself sort of thinking through well if I do stool tests I'm gonna have to do a stool test every year I should just do the colonoscopy and I'm like this what is the irony like I spent over a decade telling people to get colonoscopies or colon screenings mm-hmm. and I'm struggling with it I have high health literacy I have good insurance and I'll tell you my honest my biggest problem was that I came due during the pandemic and I was worried about uh, you know, just logistical things. Are my kids going to be in school or are my kids going to be at home mm-hmm. uh, going through the prep and going through the procedure? Like, will I need childcare for my kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I did put it off a couple of months so I could get into the summertime when I knew they'd have summer camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes people don't think, you know, it's not just fear of the expense or of the of the cancer sometimes it's logistical questions you know uh, i think um at uh, in, uh i'm gonna guess the hospital here i might get it wrong but i think it was at ridgeview at one point uh, uh no it wasn't ridgeview it was, it was um uh, it was one of the health partner systems they did some surveying and they found that they thought that all this cultural outreach is what was making a big difference in terms of their breast cancer screening rate going up. And what a lot of it was, was that the clinic had recently gone to same day mammography, where in the mm-hmm. clinic, if they found a woman that uh, was not up to date on mammograms, you know, fortunately this particular location, it was in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. uh, over over by the University of Minnesota campus, um, there was a mammography station, just like in the same building. And they figured out that they had about the same number of no-shows a day or empty appointments as they had people that were due. And so they give them this little pink ticket. And, and it you know, it's it sort of like Willy Wonka's thing. Like if you wanna get, screen, you know, you're know you on two for screening and if, if you wanna get screened, we can get you screened today. Yeah. That actually was the, the biggest challenge for not just their Caucasian population, but some of these communities of color, especially in the Somali community, it was mm-hmm. things like childcare. Mm-hmm. It was the fact that they had to come back for a second appointment. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know I think, Sometimes, uh, you know, we underestimate what these structural barriers can be like. Uh, Single moms, uh, you know, don't necessarily have a, a, you know, another parent that can watch the kids. So getting back in for a second appointment might be a big deal. Um, I will say fear is a big thing and procrastination is real, right? I I put things off. Some of that was honest uh, procrastination about, you know, logistics. Some of it, I just wasn't excited about getting a colonoscopy. And we find, we call them the worried well, the unworried well. Um, I don't have symptoms, but like I said, at the, at the top of this, you don't want to wait till you have symptoms. Symptoms are usually a sign that you've got a, a bigger problem. And I think to Stan's earlier point, um, we've under underexplained prevention opportunities. Yeah. Uh, with cervical cancer screening and with colonoscopies, you can find precancers and you can deal with them. And, you know, we have almost no cervical cancer uh, in the United States because uh, cervical screening is very common. That's not the, the case in, the, in third world countries. In a lot of places mm-hmm. where people don't have regular access to primary care, cervical cancer um, is very serious. It's much more common and it, it kills a lot more women. Um, and so that's something that we have to take into consideration when we're reaching out to immigrant populations is to help people understand that we have access here and that we can make a difference. And, that, you know, uh, Talking about cancer is not going to bring it uh, down on you, uh, and that a regular conversation with a physician can help them understand not just what when you're of age, but frankly what what else might be going on, so they can give you good advice. Did I answer your question,
2: Clarence? Maybe I should yeah, they, talk they, a they, little bit. And less. you know what? I, I just want to I want to tell you this: the, the, the other part that I, I think is is uh, important and exciting for me is your comfort in talking about diversity. You know, it, you know, a lot of times when we get into these kind of conversations, there there are differences between you know the majority population and 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 the uh, BIPOC community, and people don't you know they don't want to enter that conversation so comfortably. But uh, I appreciate the fact that you were able to enter that. conversation. I'm trying
1: as a white man. That's the best we can do. We could try to show our receipts that we're we're working through the process here. I know that uh, sometimes it's actually the well-intentioned people that are the most patronizing. Yeah. Uh, so I try to do what I can. I will say, uh, for people that are nervous or afraid about colonoscopy, first of all, my experience was that the prep was the worst part of it. And I didn't Mm -hmm. think it was that bad. I think people have variable experiences. Um, I will also say that they found a polyp and that 20% of the type of polyps they had that they found do go on to cancer. So I, I believe it's very possible that I prevented a cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was better to find it uh, as a right. pre-cancer, you know, five or 10 years before. And I think the fact that I got screened before 50 made a difference. If I'd waited till I was 50, mm-hmm. that might've not been a polyp; It might've been something else. I don't know that for sure, uh, but it made a difference. Now, I will say for anybody that's nervous about that, if you're not having symptoms and you don't have a family history, talk to your doctor about stool mm-hmm. tests. There are so many different kinds of stool tests. Everybody knows about Colaguard because they're uh, advertising on TV, but there are mm-hmm. lots of stool tests. Some of them you have to do every year. Some of them you have to do maybe every three years. They can be done in the privacy of your own home. Uh, Many of them do not require a full bowel movement. It's more like a paintbrush. Mm -hmm. You know, there's an ick factor. So some people actually don't like the stool test either. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like a paintbrush. You stick it in a little tube, you bring it back or you toss it in the mail. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the right test is the test you get. We'd rather have people get stool tests. So stool tests are just as good as colonoscopies at catching cancers early. The mm-hmm. difference is the colonoscopy can find that polyp and they can just clip it out right away. Right. And if you have a positive stool test, then you need to schedule a colonoscopy. So it's not a surefire. Hey, I don't have to drink the Kool-Aid. I don't have mm-hmm. to deal with a, a couple of days in the bathroom before I go in for this test. You're going to stick what where? Um, but I mean, it the right test is the test you get done. If, if a stool test is what you're comfortable with, we'd rather have you get in and get something. And, you know, I, I don't have a bar chart for you today, but that, you know, those early detections with stool tests, I mean, those make, in fact, the uh, the the early studies that showed the efficacy of stool tests, they started here in Minnesota, Tim Church over at the University of Minnesota test, uh, published one of the first papers showing stool tests can save lives in colon cancer. So uh, that's a test that's good if you you know, either the, you know, either the time factor of like getting, you know, especially for people that have shift work, getting a shift off mm-hmm. or you. I mean, you're going to have to take some time off. Like the best advice I can give to anybody doing a colonoscopy, do it Monday morning, uh, so that you can spend the weekend, uh, while, the, while your system's getting cleaned out, don't wait for the middle of the week. And I'll say, I made the mistake of scheduling it at noon. You can't even drink water for like the three hours before. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, not eating was not my issue. It was not even being able to drink water. So I'll never do a noon colonoscopy again. You do them right away. But, uh, the thing is like colonoscopy freaks you out. If you got no symptoms, talk to your doctor about whether you could do a stool test. Well, right? the, I mean, that's an option.
2: Yeah. So one of about. the things that you mentioned, you said, you know, you you, you got yours before you were 50. Yeah. Uh, there are there are differences sometimes in, in different oh, yeah. communities in terms of the screening uh, in terms of age uh, Could yeah. you talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah well um, what we're most focused on is personal medical history and family history and when we talk family history we're usually talking first degree relatives so not like your second cousin uh, or even your cousin but really siblings parents um, if, if you have uh, especially if it's more than one Uh, First degree relatives, like I said, siblings or parents, Uh, you definitely want to talk to your doctor about that because they may may bump back uh, when you get screened. Uh, They may also uh, set the age of screening based on the first time they caught a polyp or a cancer, for example, with colorectal cancer. Um, That's true also for breast cancer screening. Uh, My wife has a a number of uh, first degree uh, relatives and she sits right on an edge like for risk between high risk. And so she was getting mammograms uh, before the age of 40 even. Uh, And, you know, those are conversations, again, you have with your physician because they need to let you know not just what the tests will tell you, but sometimes these tests are not perfect uh, early on. And so we have started to worry about uh, over-screening. We're starting to worry about anxiety. Um, And certainly when we come to uh, lung cancer screening, you don't want to go through a lung surgery uh, if you don't have to. Uh, And it's great when you find out things are benign, but a lung surgery is a pretty significant surgery. So that's why right now for lung screening, we're not recommending these for uh, for people uh, we'd say like at our low risk uh, because it's not just the cost of the procedure, it's the, the medical procedure you go through. If the chances are very low that you're gonna have a lung cancer or a nodule they need to remove, we just don't want people to go through that. So we spend a lot of time and we've actually seen some of the guidelines shift in both directions um, or uh, you know some modest disagreements, but everybody agrees that breast cancer should be discussed with women at age 40 and that if you have a family history that maybe you should start before 40. But when you start, it's gonna be a little variable doctor to doctor, and that's okay. They're not necessarily giving you bad advice. They're trying to make sure that you as a patient can make a decision that's informed, that you understand that some of these test results might just require follow-up and that follow-up may not mean that you have cancer. Um, and we don't wanna do surgery you know, with prostate cancer. Sometimes we find cancers we can watch. We don't need to necessarily do treatment. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've got a, a really close friend my high school uh, cross-country ski coach. Uh, He's going through prostate cancer treatment right now. And he's uh, really worried about it. And he's not worried about dying. He's worried about treatment. He's worried about the side effects of treatment. He's not excited about it, but uh, you know, he reached out to a couple folks. He talked to me, I connected him to, uh, there's another guy he coached in high school that's a a urologist. And I said, you know, Rick, like, I don't have the clinical expertise and you gotta find out if this is a fast growing or a slow growing. And I know you, you you know, this is not just a high PSA at this point, like you're, you're using medical terms, let's talk to Steve. And so he talked to our friend and he said, no, no, you've got to get that out. Uh, And, you know, that is, you know, this is like, he's not at all concerned about whether he's going to beat this cancer. He's worried about what this is going to mean to his life. Is he going to have to, uh, you know, is he going to have major life-changing symptoms? And I think that's something that people underestimate, especially in the public health community, uh, is that sometimes people are more afraid of cancer than of death whether it's the treatment, whether it's the cost. Uh, and so we need to have some humility, not just to say, why wouldn't you do this? Like everybody's in a different life situation. Uh, like I was saying before, like it's, it, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world to not go to the dentist. Cause you're worried that you're going to have dental problems. Like the longer you wait to go in, the more likely that you're going to have problems. That's the same way it can be with health.
0: That's so why I want you, people as much as that, possible. You know, that, get that in. message, that yeah. message seems to be kind of at the core. Um, <clears throat> Dentists, you know, if we keep using that analogy, <clears throat> dentists are um, are pretty good at saying you should get a a, um, a checkup every six months, okay? All right. Cleaning and the whole nine yards. Um, and yes, the poking around is what can can kind of freak people out. Okay, so let's talk about cancer. Can um, if you know, I'm I'm trying to get into the psyche of the public a little bit more okay um you know it's one thing coming at it from a public health point of view or a medical point of view we're saying yes you should do this this is why you should do it etc etc but the psyche of the public is um am I going in to determine whether or not I have a um a death coming up for my life here okay because cancer has that just in general has that kind of stigma around it. Oh my God. I don't want to be labeled as having cancer. Okay. And what does a screening test do? It determines yay or nay, right. Or a level of, and that, that can be frightening to people. So how do you guys deal with that kind of thinking?
1: Well, I I think one of the things we're trying to do is to help people understand how common cancer is. Um, so there are some cancers people talk about. People talk about breast cancer a fair amount in this community, and we've got over 40 or 50 years now of breast cancer awareness in October. The color pink, you know, some people are uh, almost sick of it, uh, and uh, other people are glad to see it. Um, but a lot of other cancers, uh, cancer survivors feel overlooked. And people don't realize how common this is. Like one in three Americans, one in three Minnesotans at some point in their life will face a potentially serious diagnosis. Um, and many of these are screenable cancers, which we could have caught in, er, in earlier stages, and we are catching. It's one in eight women will face a, a diagnosis of breast cancer. Uh, colorectal cancer is a little rare. It's more like one in 24, one in 25, but it, that's not uncommon. It's just people are uncomfortable talking about a cancer of the butt, right? And, and so sometimes we use humor. Um, sometimes other people go farther. There was actually Stan a year where the, it was the national ad Council, it was not the American cancer society that came up with this, but they had like a, like a, uh, a polyp man, like a guy that dressed up in a red suit and say, pay no attention to me, ignore me. And I'll tell you, some people love that campaign. There were other people that were not so excited, especially survivors, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you might, you might. Like turn and say like really the poop emoji that's not necessarily something the cancer society pushes but you would be amazed how often uh, especially in healthcare settings clinics will use that as a way to just throw a little humor into it Uh, you know you know uh, like this little poop emoji with the buttons like a blue button the color blue instead of the color pink uh, is a little more common but humor is one way that people. I agree. some of this discomfort, um, helping people understand how common it is. And if people don't realize that it's common, they just think it's not going to happen to them. And we need people to understand if it happens to you, that you can come through it, especially if we find it in these early treatable stages. And that's the other thing we're trying. So we're trying to change up our messaging to not just say, catch it early when we can save your life, but improve your life. You know, uh, everybody know if you really know people that have gone through this and if you get, you, you know, more people in their forties, fifties, and sixties, you're going to know more people with cancer, right? If they catch it earlier, maybe they get fewer rounds of chemotherapy or maybe surgery without chemotherapy. And so what we're trying to say is if you're going to go through treatment, go through as little treatment as possible, yeah. not just a yeah. treatment that's going to be effective, but a treatment that's not going to disrupt your life as much. That's yeah. not going uh, to require you to ask friends to get rides. The treatment that's not going to require you know where you're going to question whether the treatment is worse than the disease and let's face it some of these late stage cancers the treatment is tough
0: yeah um, and yeah. even when
1: people come through it it's it's a tough experience yeah. some people beyond five years don't even consider themselves can't, don't even talk about themselves as cancer survivors because they want that part of their life to be done yeah they don't want to go back to it um, and they also don't want to think about the possibility that the cancer might come back and some cancers do come back um, you know, I've lost people that were really close to me that were 15-year cancer survivors, and then their uh, their breast cancer recurred, uh, and it was really aggressive when it came back, and the treatments they used before would not work, um, and so people want to put that out of their minds as well. So, you know, the biggest thing we could say to anybody is just make sure you have a doctor and a doctor you trust, and go to that doctor before you have any problems. I have asked my doctor questions. I would not be comfortable asking somebody uh, who I not have a relationship with. Um, I also have put my doctor through the the questions that my wife or my mother-in-law have and I switched doctors at one point because I could tell he was annoyed that I always came in with questions and I'm like I I don't I don't know how important c-reactive protein is but when I get home there's a quiz and if you're not going to help me study for that test uh, my family cares about me my wife is a physical therapist my mother's a retired nurse like they have questions some of these questions are odd but like you you have to have some comfort with your physician because if something odd happens you don't want to just put that off that anxiety is also an issue and so that's the other thing we try to tell people is get screened not just to find out if you have cancer but get screened to find out you don't have cancer almost everybody that a large percentage of the people that get screened are going to find out they're clear and that anxiety especially for someone with a family history is real or somebody with another a previous history of cancer and we try to say you know if you have that anxiety like do yourself a favor and find out. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Find out so let,
0: whether you're healthy or whether you need
1: to be checked out. Yeah.
0: So let me ask you, um, let, let's get down to some of the, uh, the, the statistics a little bit, you know, when, when I was at, at, at the health department, um, you know, at the health department, this is our state health department for our listeners. It um, you know, you always come out with what's the number one cause of of death in in this case, in the state of Minnesota. Well, for years and years and years, it still is. It's cancer, okay? Interesting, right? Um, But you remember why that is, right, Stan? Well, It's because we do so good on heart care, right? Okay, so hold on. So obviously, you know, somebody in the cardiovascular arena, I would say, yes, heart is second and then, you know, and then stroke is like, you know, fifth or whatever, but to combine those two, Heart and stroke as cardiovascular, then it yeah. jumps up to, to number one because you're combining two two disease entities. However, cancer lurks. What's going on?
2: Well, why, I, why, well, why is, I would say, why is I would Minnesota
0: say, so different than you know some of these other states where you know you're gonna die of a heart attack if you live in, in Alabama? Okay? Well, I,
1: I would I would say credit where credit is due. I think we've done good work in this state on heart heart disease. Uh, and we, and we, you know, in a minute I'll talk about cancer. Uh, but I mean, frankly, it's because we have better heart outcomes than the rest of a lot of the rest of the country. And one of the things yeah. I do, I'm part of a national organization. I tease the east and the west coast about how all the doctors there went to the same Ivy League schools, and they're so impressed with the east and the west coast. And I'm like, do you know where <laughs> the best outcomes are for the least money?
2: They're right not on the east and the west right, coast. They're right, in
1: right. states like Minnesota and Wisconsin. Where's the most uh, transparent public health data? for consumers, and for providers, and for payers, and everybody, there you go. where's sure. there the best collaboration? It's not on the east-west coast, so over right. 20 years, I have nagged these national roundtables to the point where they would, like, every time they had a speaker drop out, they'd call me, and be like, hey, can you get us somebody from Minnesota? What's health partners <laughs> doing in about three weeks?
0: Yeah, guys, yeah. could you get,
1: Like, give us lead time so we can actually invite these Minnesota stakeholders to the national roundtable, and, you know, we've got a little bit of that that Minnesota pride, sometimes it's a little chip on our shoulder. Sometimes it's deserved though, you know, like Kaiser will talk about how good their colorectal screening rates are. I won't tell you who it is, but I had a medical director said, oh yeah, Kaiser's medical director sent me their their colorectal rates, then I sent them ours. And, you know, it's just like, we're proud of this because we do good care. And I think we do good heart care here. In terms of cancer, uh, we do have a few things that, yeah, you know, in Minnesotans uh, over the years, like we've slipped from the, the healthiest state in the country we eat a little bit more, we drink a little bit more. So, you know, we have some some obesity rates that are not the worst in the country by far. Yeah. But yeah. they're they're creeping back up there. And, you know, a fair number of you know, people say obesity and cancer, like that's heart disease, that's diabetes. And I'm like, that's the problem. You're thinking only about heart disease and correct. diabetes. And you should we, also be worried about heart disease and correct. diabetes. So we like, did a
0: good job on the on the cardiovascular side, right? You did.
1: <laughs> you did. And I and, and I will say, I think uh it's you know this doctor like we care about other diseases at the cancer society like a lot of cancer patients also have other diseases and I I think people have become almost numb to the whole like you need to worry about heart disease like even after my dad had a stroke uh you know got he got a year past and he had a heart attack and that followed by a stroke he got a year past it and then he started to like cheat and smoke a little bit again. He's like, Oh, my meds are really managing this. I'm like, dad, come
0: on. Yeah, right. And, you know, and uh, you
1: know, his exercise started to slip a little bit because you know, meds. So like people can become dependent. Obesity matters, like physical activity, nutrition, um, even people that are really active, they go to the gym in the morning. There's, there's good research that shows if you spend the next eight hours sitting, after you went to the gym, you're going to lose some of that impact. So the sedentary lifestyle uh, that catches up with people with cancer and, you know, uh, you know, like I said, Minnesota is not the worst in the country, but, you know, our obesity rates, even with SHIP, even with the good work we've done, we still have to keep an eye on that. Um, we've seen uh, really, uh, a really a sharp increase over time in HPV related cancers and really the cancers that men get head yeah. neck cancers. So we're at a point, you know, we have cervical screening as well as the HPV vaccine to deal with cervical cancer. And that cervical cancer, I do think is important. And I wanna come back to that later, but with HPV, there are six different cancers we can vaccinate against. Um, and some of the, you know, 90% of these cancers that are HPV related, we could prevent. And uptake for HPV vaccine is still not what it could be. And last time I was checking Minnesota data, it's like one in four kids by age 13, not bad by age 18, it's more like half. But why would you let half of people go unvaccinated? And everybody's connecting HPV vaccination to sexuality. And when sex starts, that's not when you get back. You get vaccinated early because that's when you have the strongest immune response. We don't say three shots after 15 and two shots before 15 because we're worried about 15 year olds all going out and having sex. It's because of where they're at in their adolescent development. It's about immune response. The strongest protection is before age 13. So ACS recommends nine to 12 and You know, I'll say, like, come back to it, just stand, like, from a screening standpoint, we don't have screenings for five of these six cancers. We have it for cervical cancer. We don't have a good screening for head and neck cancer. And those head and neck cancers in men are on the rise uh, related to HPV. And so uh, we got, and we have the tools to deal with it, but we just, you know, from a a prevention standpoint, but there's still too much discomfort, even in the medical profession. Like, is this going to become this big conversation? Are the parents going to start asking me why I think... You know what I think about the sexual behaviors of their kids, and I will say, HPV vaccination is not just for high risk, at risk youth; it's for everybody. My daughter is 11; she just got her shot. Um, I actually had a long conversation—not a long conversation, but in depth. I was like, "Wait, you got two shots? You should have gotten three shots." And then I went back to the practice, and I found out there were—you know—there was some concern about how many shots kids were getting. They did one of the other shots early. Um, so, you know, it's really important for people to get that HPV shot, both not just because somebody could be a carrier, but if you've got sons, they need to get that shot so that we can, you know, this is just a huge spike. We got good data from the Minnesota cancer registry showing those head and neck cancers are going up. So, uh, and we don't have a screening for that. So the places where we have screening, we just want to make sure that people are talking to their doctor about when should they start, what their risks might be, you know, uh, you know, uh. African American men, especially, should be talking about prostate cancer because that's a little bit more common. Um, You know, we want to make sure that women understand that cervical cancer screening is not just something you do as part of reproductive health. That women continue to get cervical screenings all the way to age 64, and that's another real problem we have. That a lot of people are associating Pap smears and HPV tests with reproductive health, and think, oh, well, I test menopause, I can stop that now. You know, that's, that's a really honest misconception, even like in our earlier messaging, we haven't had to do this for a while, making sure that women understand they also have colons, because some people are confusing colons and prostates,
0: Uh, not everybody
1: completed, you know, not everybody even who completed high school had good biology teachers right so um, you know, medical professionals look at me strange sometimes when I say that I'm like, it comes up in our focus groups, right? Like,
0: yeah, women yeah. have
1: colons too, um, it's because they're confusing a colon and a prostate. So, I think yeah. just making sure people have good information is important.
0: So let me. So here's, you know, again, I'm thinking it from a kind of a um, a public psyche, <laughs> um, and we can we can do comparisons here. If we deal with um, heart disease, you're dealing with your heart. As soon as you say cancer, however, you know somebody could say cancer seems to be affecting our bodies everywhere. Okay, so you know you're talking about breast, you're talking about prostate, you're talking about lung, you're talking about skin, you're talking about oral cancer. It's really complicated. It's like yeah. it's 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 like it's it's almost a systemic it can be, uh, cancer can affect you systemically almost anywhere within, well, within, within your body. Okay.
1: I mean, I mean at, a, at a base biological level, it's about cell reproduction that goes on. So really any plate, like your whole body of cells, there are hundreds of cancers. And I think the other thing, Stan, that is not well understood, even in, in primary care, you know, even among physicians necessarily yeah. is how different Two different pre- two different breast cancers or two different colon cancers. Exactly. Can there are very That's, there are some ca- breast cancers that are highly highly treatable. We're talking about like ninety nine percent. If you have triple negative breast cancer, that is much harder to treat. There is there is much more research in that space because the outcomes are worse. And guess what? Triple negative breast cancer much more common in the African American population. So we there you why. go.
0: We don't so know it, why. So all right. this stuff can be can add to this shall we call it the public health confusion around the yeah. messaging around, yeah. around cancer. So now um, how, well, is I think it? people
1: also tend to dwell on the worst case scenarios. Cause that's what sticks out that, especially if you're here yeah. Yeah. and they don't always hear, they don't always realize how many people around them might've gone through cancer treatment that they didn't even notice. Uh, you know, some of these treatments are so early. You don't, not everybody loses their hair, not everybody needs chemotherapy. And so I'm talking about one in three. Well, right. But, but I mean, like people who had hair suddenly lose hair, like people, you know, people are like thinking of all these symptoms. Like I said before, it's not just about beating it. It's like how, how terrible, like everybody knows somebody that's had a really tough battle with cancer. Correct. They don't always know they may know lots of people that just didn't talk about it because people are self-conscious about it. There's stigma, what type of cancer it is. Exactly. you know? Exactly. I mean, any so, cancer in your bowel region is not something you're going to go out and tell the world, hey, I have COVID right, cancer. Okay, I've been right. asked some like bizarre medical questions by members of the public about how, how you really think this is happening. Like it's cell division. And like people connect all kinds of things to lifestyle that have nothing to do with lifestyle. They just, you know, not every lung cancer is a smoker. Right. I mean, there are lung cancers that come from right Yeah.
0: There are they
1: lung don't know where they come from. Yeah. <laughs> is like, uh, you know, attached to all kinds of other things. So it's not all like, and, and there's so much stigma, especially certain cancers where people are attaching to like, how, like, what did you do to get it? Like, it's a blame thing that then people who have these cancers that are effectively treated don't share with people. That if we Correct. catch it early, some of these cancers are very treatable, and that you know right, I think that right. is out there. But like you said, there's also so many different types of cancers: blood cancers,
0: bone cancers. Like again, Everything, it almost yeah.
1: information overload, right? right? Even good information so cl- can give you Clarence, an ice cream I've headache.
0: Got, you know, I got a, a question for you, Clarence, because um, you know, as my dear colleague, you're out in the community a lot.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, and what do you hear? What do you hear out there it's like if cancer comes up in a uh in a conversation in in a place that you're you're associated with what do you hear from your friends and your colleagues around cancer
2: well cancer seldom comes up in really? terms of, of, of a conversation i mean you know a lot of time people are not uh,
0: avoidance the, I don't the, know the,
2: yeah. well people just they, they don't talk about it. I think I, I agree with Matthew on, on, on that particular piece uh, except <laughs> prostate cancer when you uh, when you talk to men about prostate cancer there is a response there is a response and I think that response is probably because they don't want to do it or because they know somebody that's that's had it or they may have experienced it themselves and so it's probably you know as as we were talking it's probably one of the Few cancers that men are sensitive and aware of because uh, they have somebody in their family that has probably experienced it, or because they are afraid of the consequences of it. Yeah, you know? yeah um, there you go. And so people are saying, "No, I don't think I want. I don't think I want to know because you know it's going to mess yeah. with my sex life." You know, and I think, and, and that's really that's really where a lot of guys go right away. This is going to really mess with my sex life. And yep. I think that 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 it's it, uh, it it's really uh, it's really difficult sometimes to explain to them. You know, just as you were just saying that that it doesn't always affect your sex life. There's other there are other consequences to it as well. But so the question is, uh, it's not often discussed. Uh, when it's discussed, it's usually um, kind of like, yeah, I know, but, and so. It is it, kind of on on the practitioners, medical practitioners, to really kind of help to sort through that and, and kind of navigate through that to get them to understanding what are the real consequences of it and what they're fearing is not necessarily what is going, what is what is true. Yeah. Well, and I think yeah. I think,
1: Clarence, what we need to do as much as possible when people have questions to not just answer, in addition to giving them the good information we have, is like, do you have a doctor that you trust? Do you have someone you can talk to? And we need to work with the doctors to make sure whatever they come in for, make sure you talk about everything they need, mm-hmm. not just. And that can be a challenge for doctors. So a lot of what yeah. we do at the Cancer Society is provider education, working with nurses as well as doctors, because the nurse gets more time with you than the doctor. The doctor might be rushing around, like, I, you know, mm-hmm. I often my doctor is five minutes late
0: mm-hmm.
1: and trying to get on to the next thing, and I got to try to figure out what questions I'm going to get answered uh, as as much as he's going to try to figure out what to communicate to me. And I think. To some degree, it's good to hear there's awareness, at least the prostate, but I understand that that creates fear. I'm but, you, but,
2: but I think you, you, you just said something that that's very, very important. It's like, what doctors can you trust? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, and so that that's really the key for a lot of people is that like, which doctors can I trust? Because, you know, I got, as you just said, you got 15, 20 minutes with them, maybe, you know, and, uh, you know, you want to ask these very, very important questions. You don't want to ask the nurse. You know, and so well, so you have rectal
1: uh, bleeding. Do you want to talk to somebody about rectal bleeding if you've never met them before? Like, that's an uncomfortable. Yeah, thing, exactly. Right? Yeah, a good exactly. Like, maybe it's just a hemorrhoid. I'll just I don't I really want to talk about blood coming from my butt. Like, maybe maybe it's just a hemorrhoid. And I'll just wait a year or two. I mean, I've talked to men who were diagnosed with stage three uh, colon cancer mm-hmm. that that confessed to me that like they had rectal bleeding for a year before they went in right. like that's nuts but guess what right, everybody's right. in a different place uh maybe they <clears throat> thought that something happened they thought someone was going to make an assumption about them uh and like you said clarence it's who you trust and it's identifying exactly. a trust relationship and honestly um, t- i'm t- sorry to hear there's fear but you know, uh, the African-American community, we need people to be talking about colon cancer at least as much as prostate cancer. Colon cancer, uh, is far uh, the mortality is far higher in the African-American community in colon cancer. And again, it's a cancer of the blood. But if people knew, hey, but you don't have symptoms, you can do a stool test at least to get started, at least to or at least have the conversation with the doctor about what your choices are. Um, then we can make sure that we're talking that through. And, you know, not everybody... It's better than like, it's not like you're not going to have symptoms
0: mm-hmm. eventually, mm-hmm. right? Um, of something, yeah. Of something. <laughs> yeah, right. So I've got, a, there's two things I want to I touch on, you know, before we wrap this show up. And um, one of them is policy. Okay. okay. Kind of the politics and the policy around cancer. You've been involved in this for many, many years. Um, what do you think you know, besides what is in place, what do you think needs to be in place policy-wise in order for um, all of us, the public, to um, address cancer, and I'll put the word cancer in quotes, better than we are now?
1: Well, I, I think one thing, uh, um, you know, at least Minnesota has a little leg up in terms of healthcare access. Uh, we yeah. have a, a, a population that's got more access to insurance, uh, and we have uh, some great uh, community health centers that provide care for the uninsured. Uh, yeah. And at least our state is one of the states that took Medicaid expansion. If you're in a state without Medicaid expansion, people are a lot more likely to be uninsured. And that whole question about access to a doctor, whether you go to a doctor more regularly, if you don't have insurance, uh, and there are people that make enough money that they are not on Medicaid, they're not even Medicaid Correct.
0: eligible, Correct. Yeah. but
1: they don't have insurance or they don't have Good effective, you know, access to it. So, you know, healthcare access is a huge part of this because if how do you develop a trusting relationship with a doctor that can give you good advice that you can take if you don't know how you're going to pay for it? And I think the concern about payment is stronger for some yeah. people than others realize. And we see that in our surveys across socioeconomic bounds. It is not just low-income people that are worried that a cancer diagnos- diagnosis is going to bankrupt them. Uh, yeah. And it is not a bad, uh, is not a, a terrible, terribly silly conclusion. Cancer treatment can be very expensive. And a yeah. lot of people, something crazy, like a third of people that go bankrupt, uh, go bankrupt because of healthcare and cancer is one of the leaders. Some of these, especially drugs you might need for a late stage cancer, they are expensive. Even yeah. if you have insurance, you're going to exhaust your benefit pretty quickly. Uh, so I mean, that cost consideration is real. And so anything we can do to get, get you know get people insurance and get people in early, but also we need to look at that thing. We need to look at things like prescription drug reform. We need to be serious about, uh, you know, employment even. We need to look at the social determinants of health to figure out like what can we do to put people in the best possible position to be healthy? So, I mean, there's a lot of public health implications, like my colleague that does lobbying. There's so many things that Emily could be working on at any given time, just at the state level. Uh, It's not just about tobacco control and cancer screening. It's, you know, we're weighing in on paid medical leave, we're weighing in on some of these other things, because those things matter. Right. And I think uh, you know, it's, it, you know, we, frankly, the biggest investor in cancer research right now is the federal government. And that makes a big difference, but we need to think beyond research and discovery space. We need to think, how do we make sure that patients get access to those research trials? Because sometimes those trials give you the, opp- the opportunity saving. to, to get therapeutic therapeutic treatments that aren't available yet. Exactly. At the same time, we need to remember some people don't want to be, uh, involved in research because, there's some reasons for medical mistrust, right? They've been mistreated in the past. So we need some policy discussions about that. So it's not just about payment. Uh, we do have, uh, you know, fortunately a program uh funded, well funded by the CDC uh, and by the state that provides breast and cervical cancer screening mm-hmm. for the uninsured, that's the SAGE program. Uh, You know, anybody in the state that does not have breast, uh, you know, does not have insurance coverage, uh, have them call the health department at one eight 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 six, four, three, two, five, eight, four. They can find out if they're eligible. They can schedule them. They act as a health also care.
0: the Sage Plus. The Sage, Sage Plus, Plus program which, goes hand in hand with that to to look at cardiovascular screening. Now too. I would say so, I mean,
1: that program is great. It's not funded as well as it could be.
0: Uh, absolutely. It could be better. And absolutely. that's what
1: gives us breast and cervical. Uh, that doesn't provide any screening, uh, any colorectal cancer screening. We don't have a funding correct. for that. That We're struggling with that, right? Yeah, you know, correct. I mentioned before lung cancer screening or prostate cancer screening, as Clarence was talking about. So, you know, it's great that we have opportunities for breast and cervical. We need those opportunities in other spaces. And what we're trying to figure out at the Cancer Society is is the opportunity. Should we go disease by disease or even cancer by cancer? Or do we just need to take access on more directly? And I think that's yeah. one of the biggest problems. Um, But it it gets beyond cancer specific things to these social determinants of health, like even to the extent that people have good housing or not, you know, like how your sense of community. The Minnesota Public Health Association just passed a resolution on voting in public health because voting gives people a sense of identity, a sense of connectedness. That's that's critical to looking after yourself to feeling like your community cares for you so that you can reach out to someone in your community and get help, including a physician. Um, If you don't vote, you don't have the opportunity to vote. You don't have voice to make it clear what your community needs. Different communities have different needs, right? We We know that to get this message out in cancer screening, we need to adapt our messages, not just to say how is... Uh, cancer impacting the African-American or the Somali or the Hmong community, but to understand what sensitivities those communities might have. And we're, as we learn that, we're sharing that with policymakers too, so that they can understand, hey, you can't just assume one, one size fits all. Uh, during yeah. the pandemic, we told people to stay home for a while. So there was a, a time period where everybody was delaying cancer screening, even the people that were getting it. When they came back, you know screening rates bounce back, cervical screening has not bounced back the way that breast and colon screening has. I don't know for sure, but we think we know it's because w- would you sit in a primary care office where somebody might be coughing with potential? Co- they're right, waiting to find out if right. they have COVID. Like, right, I was careful, yeah, it, yeah, it was a while yeah. before I went to the state fair this year. The first year I did not go to the state fair, I wasn't ready to right. come back, right? Right,
0: people right. were risk That's averse. So, so readiness factor
1: you can get no, a mammogram readiness. by going to a breast center, but cervical screening happens in a primary care setting. So it makes sense that women didn't do that, but that makes us worried about a cancer that we largely prevent because we catch these pre-cancers that those screening, that those cancers are going to go up and it's not just death. It's the risk to fertility, right? So some of what we're trying to talk more uh, about cervical cancer screening to address that gap is, Hey, this isn't just about protecting your life. It's protecting your fertility. Like if you're in your twenties, do not skip these, you know, and we're really focused on 25. Some people are saying 21. Uh, we think that HPV vaccination is helping us push up some of the age. We're a little worried about over-screening, but if you're in your 20s, don't skip those doctor visits. If your doctor tells you you should get cervical screening, you should get it. Uh, and and again, also as you get older, it's not just about it's not just about pregnancy. Like we want to make sure that any you know that if you have precancers in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, we catch those early as precancers. You don't have to deal with a cancer treatment that you may beat the cancer, but like I was saying before, we want you to have the best quality of life possible, as few treatments as possible, that kind
0: of thing. So if, you know, we're going to wrap up here. So um, we always end our health chatter shows and keep in mind, this is a podcast. And so it's like, we, we want to end it by saying, what's the one thing we in the podcast arena can do to help um, this subject matter go forward, go forward in a positive way what what do you think is like the one thing and and we'll we'll focus on that. We'll try to we'll we'll take that. And carry it forward. What do you think that might be?
1: I would encourage everybody listening to this to learn more. There's always more to learn. I've been working at the Cancer Society for 20 years. I'm I'm learning more stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some great websites out there. There's our website at www.cancer.org, or uh, the NCI website is great. That's uh, cancer.gov, mm-hmm. uh, CDC website. These are all great, reputable websites. Department great of information. The Minnesota Department of Health website, fantastic. We have, uh, like when I talk to other parts of the country, I brag about, brag up how much publicly available data we have on everything. Like I can tell you the HPV vaccine rate in some zip codes in the metro area. Yeah, like, And we do it by 13. We don't do it by 17. The recommendation is by 13. And that's, you know, our, our health department's just better at collecting and publishing data. Our health providers are better at, you know, not everybody has community measurement data that shows them. Uh, you know who's doing the best job at treating stuff, but get that yeah. information. If you're not a web savvy person, you can call our 1-800 number. It's 1-800-227-2345. Uh, to this whole question about cancer screening, uh, we worked with some of the local health systems and put together a website that's mncancerscreening.org. Great website that you can go to not only to learn about cancer screening, but to find out uh, find you know you can type in your zip code and find examples of places where you can get cancer screening in your community. So. I just think that information is good. I think tagged on to that, or, or simple, I was like, find a doctor you trust. Yeah. Find a doctor you trust and see them regularly, so that any little thing that comes up, and that's as much about finding out what you don't have, it's about relieving your anxiety about something, um, as it is about getting it. Don't wait to to get to a certain age. Talk to your doctor earlier on to see, you know, and Clarence, we were talking, we used to talk about how colorectal screening should be happening earlier in the African American population that we knew African Americans to get screened at 45. When we really dug into the data, we decided everybody needs to get screened at 45. So that's a recent change. Even some doctors are not catching up to that. We know because I've been talking to all these Minnesota health insurance companies, they will pay at 45. Don't wait till 50. Not only don't wait till symptoms. Don't wait till 50. What we saw, what we could see, because we have good community measurement data. I asked them to pull it one year. When the screening age was at 50, most people are waiting till 55. They're putting it off. They just don't want to get a colonoscopy, right? Um, like, and it was. It wasn't bad. It was like 50 percent, 50 or 60 percent at. 50 and then at 55 it would jump to like 65 and then it would get to 70 or 80 like that's that's pretty good but they were putting it off we need people to start earlier we need people to have that conversation at 40 to see if they have a family history and to get that screening at 45 because like i said if i caught that polyp five years later it might not have been a polyp it might not have been a pre-cancer
0: and you know clarence last words
2: I really appreciate this conversation. I mean, there's been so much that I've I've learned, and I again I appreciate the the candor in which you've you talked about this topic, and I think that this is the kind of thing that we need to have more more candid conversation so that we can do more things more effectively. So thank you. Well, thanks you so know, much for
0: having I, me today. You know, Matt. Uh, you know, I I will say that it came out loud and clear today. Your um, your passionate about the, the subject matter and, and your knowledge about the subject matter, but also as a, a true public health advocate. And um and I truly, truly thank you. You're you're a gift to our community and and thank you for, for it. We um like for many of our our great guests, we reserve the right to to invite you back. because uh, I'm sure there will be other happy, topics happy that tomorrow. come up all of a sudden and will say, oh my God, we have to call Matt. to get the get the scoop on this so stay tuned for that and if and if
1: i think that there's somebody uh and there often is the case especially i'm Uh, specific topics that can do a better job, I'll make sure uh, to put you in touch with them too. You let us know. I know this group, so I know that you all know how important community health workers are, but just wanted to sing that that additional praise. I think our healthcare system needs to listen to them and not just uh, uh, work with them as translators or community ambassadors, but they have the cultural and and, uh, they have the literacy. We need to tailor our messages to different communities. And we need to understand Minnesota is a diverse place. We have more and more immigrant populations. And we need to approach people where they're at and work in partnership with those communities. So uh, really, thank just you. want to add that extra tag.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. To our listeners, thank you for listening to our, our health chatter discussion today on, on Cancer Screen. We hope you you listen to some of our other shows as well. We have other great shows in, in the queue, including a show coming up with a, um, an author, Ken, Catherine Standifer, who's written a great book called Lightning Flowers, who's actually gone through some of the issues, not cancer-wise, but issues dealing with um, health insurance, etc. So stay tuned to that. In the meantime, keep health chatting away.